Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for music and for celebrating people who have graduated high school. God, we thank you for our church and for Sundays. We are really growing to love Sundays, and we're glad to be here. Father, we pray that you would lead us in worship now, even to the, the main part of the service, and that is a looking to your word. And Father, we pray that you would open our, our hearts and heads and, and, God, give us faith. Cause us to believe, God. Make us believers. Help us to see the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, please turn to the Bible to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, it's page 932 in a pew Bible. Page 932 in a pew Bible, Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the, the passage where Jesus gives the lesson from the withered fig tree. And so what we have actually is kind of the third part in this scene Two weeks ago, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Last week, he cleansed the temple. And now we get the explanation of the cursing of the fig tree. And they all go together. They're all about uh, fruitless lives. They're all about fruitless worshipers. They're serious passages. They, They all could have been explained together. But that would have been a lot. So we've broken them up. And that's where we are today. I don't know if y'all are into gardening or not, but I think gardening is fascinating. I think it's a cool hobby. It's a, it's a fun thing to do. It's very productive as far as it can yield fruit. Um, but I think it's interesting to look at how some people garden, right? I know some people who try so hard to garden. Awesome, TJ. Thank you so much. I know some people who try so hard to garden, and uh, then they celebrate when they get one tomato or one cucumber, right? And they think it was a, an accomplishment because they got some. And then I know other people who, uh, they do it every year, and once the garden gets going, they have more tomatoes than they can handle, right? My dad's expression every year is, I got zucchini coming out my ears, man. I'm trying to give them to everybody that I know, and just vegetables everywhere, and every counter in the house is covered, the table's covered, and he's got more vegetables than he knows what to do with. And gardening's like that, isn't it? But one thing that you can say about gardening, excuse me, one thing you can say about gardening, it's pretty easy to judge on how well it's going, isn't it? If there's a lot of fruit, if there's a lot of harvest, then it's going well. And if there's not very much, then we ask, man, what happened? And what's going wrong here? And folks, this is what Jesus is wanting us to see about church. It's what Jesus is wanting you and I to see about ourselves and our lives. If God has come into our lives and saved us, then his Holy Spirit living in us is to be bearing fruit. There's a passage in Galatians 5 that says that very thing. There is a fruit of the Spirit. The absence of that fruit of the Spirit is to warn us and challenge us that something is wrong if there's not fruit coming from our lives. And that's what these passages are about. Fruitful living and fruitless living. Today I want to give you five marks, five traits, five characteristics of a fruitful Christian life. I hope you long for these. I hope you desire these. I hope that many of you will will be humbled that these are present in your life. Five marks straight from the mouth of Jesus 
of a fruitful Christian life. Read with me at chapter 11 of Mark, verse 20 through 26. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his own heart, in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, I know that it is pretty common for you and I to, to naturally equate, I mean, make equal a good person and a godly person, a good person and a Christian person. I know it's almost natural for, for you and I in, in our lives to think that those are the same, but I want to remind you they're not. There's some similarities, certainly, and there's some overlap, and a godly person ought to be a good person, you know, that sort of thing, but, but it's not exactly the same. And the more and more that you look to the Bible, you're going to see a, a growing gap or difference between the two, okay? And so today, I want you to see, and really, if you'll keep looking at the book today, I want you to see that Jesus is telling us what a, what a good person as a godly person, a fruitful Christian spiritual life looks like. And it, and it certainly is some good things, but there's some deeper stuff there, some really more difficult things there if you're just trying to be a good person. And so let's, let's look at that now. Five points that I want us to see, five marks. Number one, okay, and I try to go with some alliteration here, so they all start with an L, and hopefully that helps y'all. All right, number one, a fruitful Christian life learns from the past. A fruitful Christian life learns from the past. God teaches us this. Look how our passage begins. They have now been at the temple. Jesus had the big scene of cleansing the temple. And, 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 as, and as far as we can imagine, that was a huge scene, right? And so that would be at the front of your mind. The tree from the day before would probably not be on the front of your mind. And so now they're passing by, it says, in the morning of the next day, and they saw that fig tree again. They just happened to pass that way again. And they see it, and this time it is withered away to its roots. It is dead and gone. It's not just the fruit that's missing. It's not just the leaves are, are changing colors. It is dead all the way to the roots. And so Peter makes an observation in verse 21, and he says he remembers something. Okay, so now he's learning from the past. He remembers something, and he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And so what's happening in Peter's mind is he is now thinking back to something that he experienced the day before and he's processing what that means. He's learning off something that happened a while ago. You may say that if he had not walked back by that tree again, that it wouldn't have entered his mind. He may not have remembered it. Now, surely somewhere down the road, it may have popped back up into his mind. And you know how our memories work. But this time, they walk that way. He sees it, and something comes to his mind. And now he's processing that. 
He remembers that Jesus was hungry. Jesus wanted something to eat. He sees a tree that looks like it's alive and well and should have fruit for it. Jesus goes there and he finds no fruit. And so Jesus cursed that tree. He cursed the tree because it looked like it should have fruit, but it didn't have fruit. That's why Jesus cursed it. Later on, they end up at the temple, and Jesus finds this big religious scene that should be full of worship to the glory of God, and all it is is a business, thorough uh, enterprise going on without any worshipers. People were there about making a profit. People were there about uh, trying to take advantage of people. It was chaos there, and it wasn't worship. Jesus cleansed the whole place. That's what I preached on last week, and Peter's remembering this. Peter, Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. And y'all have turned my house into a den of robbers. This is supposed to be about worship, and this is not about worship. And Peter is recalling this, and now walking back, he sees it withered, and he thinks, so is the spiritual person who has all of these things in their lives, but is not fruitful. It's a warning. Further than a warning, it's a judgment. It's a judgment on people who think they are godly or of God or good enough because of some religious components to their life. And it's a warning to the tree. The tree is a warning to us. The temple is a warning to us. And Peter remembers that. We as Christians must understand that we are to be learning from the past. God wants us to be this way, and we see this time and time again. There's a verse in Proverbs 26.11 that says this, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who returns to his folly. Kind of harsh, isn't it? Kind of gross, actually. But if you've ever done a sin that you hated last year, and you found yourself doing it again. That's what it's like. A dog will get sick and throw up and go walk around and then come back and look at its vomit. And sometimes, forgive me for being crude, it will even lick it up. But sometimes, y'all, we'll do something and we'll say, God, I, I can't believe I did that. Oh, God, I don't ever want to do that again. God, forgive me of that. And give us a week or a month or a year and we'll be back doing it again. And then we get beat down like, what's wrong with me? And God wants us to learn from the past. God wants us to be able to see mistakes that other people have made, right? You ever heard a parent say to their child, listen here, son, I had to learn the hard way, and I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to hear that I made some bad decisions, and I want you to hear from me. I don't want you to do that. That's, that's trying to help us learn from the past. This is biblical. This is biblical. We have college Bible study every Wednesday night during the summer, and it's going really well. And we're walking through the book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, Jude is writing to Christians, and he, he says in verse 3 that he's writing to them. He wanted to write to them about their common salvation, he said, but he couldn't. And he found it necessary to appeal to them to contend earnestly for the faith. You need to be standing up for what you believe. And he says, here's why. Certain people have crept in unnoticed, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. They, they act like they're a part of, of Jesus and his people, but they're really fakes or phonies, and they're ungodly, and they're in the mix. And so you need to stand up and really live it out what's right. And then you know what he Jude does next? 
Jude reminds them that for anybody that is not fruitful, there will be a judgment and punishment for it. And he gives three examples early on. I think it's like verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, don't you remember what happened to the people who were enslaved in Egypt? How God, dis- God punished them? He says, don't you remember what happened to the angels in heaven who rebelled against God? And how God has put them in eternal chains forever? Don't you remember that? And then he says, don't you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? How those cities were chasing after sexual sins? And don't you remember how God punished them? Jude begins his letter. It's not, very, it's not a very long letter. But in the first seven verses, he gives three huge examples. One, the people of Israel in Egypt. Two, angels, and as glorious as they are, and four, a, 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 a ungodly city. And he says, if you are not going to obey God or, or trust in God or be fruitful toward God, you need to hear that God will punish. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson to the people that are receiving Jude's letter that you need to learn from the past. Now, one neat thing that we as a church need to realize, our church is 100 years old. There's a lot of past, isn't there? We've got some pictures here when there have been 500 people in worship in this building, standing room only in the balcony. And we've got some pictures here where there's about 40 people. We've been through some highs and we've been through some lows. We've been through some times where people in the community thought this church was not so good. And we've been through some times where people in the community continually sought us out, asking if we could help them. We need to learn from the past, don't we? We need to see what damaged our witness to Christ and what made people think poorly of us. We need to learn from it. The first thing I want you to see here of the fruitful Christian life is that Peter, on the way, recognizes the tree and starts to remember. Let me tell you one more point. In John chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, we have another scene of Jesus cleansing the temple. We don't think it's the same one because this is at the beginning of his ministry. This one that is most common in the Gospels is at the end of Jesus' ministry. We're just a few days away from him dying on the cross. But John chapter 2 has one at the very beginning of his ministry. And in that one, Jesus is cleansing the temple, and it says there that the disciples remembered That Psalm 69 says, zeal for your house will consume me. And they said that reminded them of Jesus. Jesus' passion for the house of God consumes him. They knew Psalm 69. They didn't really know how it applied. But Jesus, angry over the sinful offense to God that was going on in the temple that was in place of worship, bothered Jesus. He did something about it, and the disciples said, that reminds me of Psalm 69. That reminds me of the one who has such a zeal and passion for God and for worship. They're learning from the past. I want to ask you as a believer, are you learning from the past? Me and my sons are looking forward to tonight and the NBA Finals pick up again. Game two is tonight, Cavs versus Warriors, and we're looking forward to it. Game one was Thursday night and the Warriors won by 22 and Kevin Durant had 38 points. It was an outstanding game. And one could be quick to say, man, it looks like the Warriors are going to win this series, right? They look really good. But if you know anything about basketball, you know that the Warriors did the same thing last year. 
They won the first two games last year by an average of 20 points. They had a 3-1 lead in a best-of-seven series last year, and then it all crumbled. Their 3-1 lead was lost. Cavs came storming back, won three games in a row, and the Cavs were the champions last year. There's not a person, there's not a fan, there's certainly not a warrior right now who thinks we killed them in game one and we got this. It'd be so foolish. It'd be like a dog returning to his vomit. They need to remember what happened last year. Folks, if you want to live your life for God, you certainly do set your eyes on Jesus and you run with all you got. But you make sure you remember in the past the foolish mistakes you've made, the pride that has taken over your life at times, the lack of grace and forgiveness that you did not show to people, the mistakes that you've made, the sins that you've committed. We must be learning from those. We learn from the past. Number two, though, we live by faith. This certainly is the biggest point here in this passage. We live by faith. Look what it says in verse 22. Peter points out, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. In verse 22, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Here's Jesus' response. You might say that this is the whole answer to all of the fruitless talk. There's a tree there that looks healthy that doesn't bear fruit. What's the answer? Faith in God. There's a temple there that is so busy with religious people, but it's not worship to God. It doesn't bear fruit. What's the answer? Faith in God. Listen to me, people. The response to fruitless living is a faith in God. The key to fruitful living is faith in God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we have this passage called the Hall of Faith where he gives us example after example of many, many people who modeled for us what it means to live by faith. And it's, it's summed up in Hebrews 11 verse 6. And he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God. Not sometimes possible, not sort of possible, impossible for your life to be pleasing to God if you are not going to live by faith. Pile up all the good works that you want to, do all the church events that you want to, do all of the good things that you think you want to, love your neighbor all you want to. Without a rest and surrender, trust, faith in God, it is not pleasing to God. And the Bible tells us that time and time again. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that the reason why Noah built the boat in the book of Genesis, even though everybody else mocked him for building this gigantic boat, is because he had faith in God. The book of Hebrews tells us that the reason why Abraham picked up everything that he had and went out to a place that he had never been before is because God told him to. And even though he did not know where God was taking him, he knew that the key to life was faith in God. And so he did that. In the book of <clears throat> The book of Hebrews chapter 11 goes on and on with examples like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 tells us, Therefore we are to walk by faith, not by sight. The Christian fruitful life is not lived by looking out and, and observing everything and then trying to figure it out. There is a component to our lives that says, I am trusting in what God has called me to do. It may not look like it's the right thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. Faith in God is the key. That's why I said we learn from the past, but we're not able to control the future. 
What it means to be a Christian with a fruitful life is you are going to trust that God controls your future and you're going to trust him with it. Trying to control your own future is like grasping after wind. It's not going to work. We must be people who have faith in God. In our Wednesday and Thursday morning Bible studies, we've been walking through Romans, and we just finished chapter 14. And the very, very last half, the last sentence of chapter 14, verse 23 says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Give money to the poor, gave money to the poor, that's fantastic. If it wasn't from a faith in God, it is still sin. The key to life is faith. Notice that this is, this is Jesus' response. The cursing of a fig tree for no fruit, the, the angered response of cleansing the temple because of no true worship. Peter points it out. Look, Jesus says, have faith in God. Folks, if you have centered your life more on what you can do for God rather than what God has done for you and your faith in it, then you're in a dangerous spot. Your life is not very fruitful. We are to be people that believe. And our faith, listen to me, begins, centers on, and ends, never ends, but but continues all the way through with a faith that says, my sins are forgiven by a God who loves me who sent his son to die for me. If we don't have the component in our spiritual lives that are fruitful because we are trusting in forgiveness because of what Jesus has done, then we don't ultimately have faith. I know a lot of people who generally like to say, have faith or keep the faith, or or at Hobby Lobby you can buy a sign, and I'm sure you have them in your homes that say, faith, hope, and love, or it's all about faith, or faith and family, and these type of phrases that are so popular. If that faith, for however you define it, is not in God and who he is and what he's done and how he relates to us and forgiving us of our sins, then it is not ultimately a faith. It's an empty, positive attitude, which is not quite the same thing as hoping and trusting in a God and Father in heaven. We are to live by faith. Notice again in verse 22 that Jesus' answer is have faith in God. If you're disappointed in how fruitless your life is, if you're disappointed in how busy you are and yet how uh, not productive your life is, if you're disappointed in how much you think you're trying and trying and trying and not seeing good results or trying and trying and trying and just can't be happy, if you continue to be down and all you can do is keep trying, you need to hear the answer today to the key to a Christian fruitful life, faith in God. The answer is not found in you. The answer is found in God. And until anybody anywhere will admit that, come to the point where they want to surrender themselves to God, they will not be a fruitful Christian. So we learn from the past. We live by faith. Number three, we lean on prayer. It's kind of fascinating this is the direction Jesus goes. 
One would think, have faith in God and then get busy with it. Get out there and do something. Start working harder. Make a name for yourself or do something. Get off your tail and, and make it happen. He doesn't go there. That's what I mean. There's a thin line. Listen, there's a real thin line between a, a um, positive speech or a motivational speaker. There's a thin line between a good works and a positive altitude and the godliness. Jesus doesn't take it to where you would take it. You know, sometimes my parenting is, you're wrong, but I still love you. Now, you better not do it again. Now, you better learn to do it the right way. And there's an aspect of where parenting needs that message, right? But that's not the message. That's not the message of Christianity. Now, there is a biblical Christian message that says, get up there and work hard and do whatever you do to the glory of God. And y'all have heard me preach that a thousand times. But I'm talking about getting your heart focused on the right thing, centered upon Jesus, and living a Christian fruitful life. From faith, look where he goes, to prayer. Number one, we learn from the past. Number two, we live by faith. Number three, we lean on prayer. Look at verse 23. He starts teaching on prayer. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus goes into all of that on his second point after cleansing the temple, after cursing the fig tree. Have faith in God, lean on prayer. Now, some of you may be hung up about this whole name it, claim it type of prayer that Jesus gives us here. And I want to remind you, this is really just an illustration that if you are trusting in God, that God who you pray to has the power to do everything. There is no, there is no power simply in your prayers. And it's real easy for you to get it twisted to think that prayer has the power because we often say that prayer has the power. Let me remind you that prayer has power because the God you pray to has power. And whatever you ask in his name according to his will him doing it the way he wants it to, he can do whatever you want to. If he wants to move a mountain for his glory, he can. But I want to remind you that Jesus didn't do stuff like that. We don't have any scenes of Jesus moving a mountain. Jesus never showed off. And Jesus never said, well, I'm just going to do something to show y'all how powerful I am because y'all don't seem to get it. He didn't do that. Jesus was so confident in himself as the holy son of God, as our very creator, as, as God in the flesh, that he didn't do that. He's simply teaching here that somebody who has faith in God knows that they can lean on prayer, and when I call on Jesus, all things are possible. Do y'all remember that phrase? When I call on Jesus, all things are possible. And this is what he's teaching. He is teaching the child of God that the Christian fruitful life is one that says, my hope is in God, therefore I talk to God about everything. Just recently, I don't know if you know, but on our church website, we have a little pastor blog, and I don't write on it enough as I, as I should, I guess, but I just recently wrote about ways that you can pray more with your family, and I got a little honest about how I am with my family, and you can ask our boys. We pray together, me with them, everywhere we go. We pray in the morning before school. We pray after school when I pick them up. We pray as we're walking into the ball field with my arm around them. I know there's people all around and people are saying, hey, but I'm just saying, guys, real quick, God, thank you so much that we get to play ball. I love watching them. Help them to do their best today and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you smack them on the butt and you say, let's go get them. 
But we're praying all the time. We pray when we eat. We pray when we go. We pray when we come. We pray when we get in the car. Sometimes we don't have anything to pray about. The other night, the kids fell asleep on the couch. Eli and Noah did. I carried them to bed. Jesus wasn't asleep yet. I said, JJ, let's, let's kneel down. And we just got there on our knees. I said, let's pray. You go first. He said, well, what do you want me to pray about? I said, well, I'm not sure, but let's just think of something. Let's pray. And JJ and I on our knees there beside the couch pray. This is what it means to really be faithful to God or having faith in God. And you can see a correlation. We may give lip service to saying we believe in God, but if we're never seeking him or asking him to do anything, then ultimately our lives are in our hands and in our control. But when you realize that actually I'm utterly and totally dependent upon God, then I have to be seeking the Lord. I have to be saying, God, help me with this, and God, help me with this, and God, forgive me of my sins. We lean on prayer. If you believe in God, then you want to pray. Jesus' point here, too, is that when you're praying, you're not doubting. You're not doubting. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. We have an answer to why God doesn't answer your prayers. He says you're asking wrongly. He says this, You're asking to spend the answer on your own desires. James chapter 4, verse 3, look it up. Have you been praying about something and God hasn't answered it and now you're mad about it? But push come to shove, the honest truth is you've been selfish in your prayer. It wasn't a surrendered prayer. Jesus says, don't doubt, trust God. The Bible gives us many, many, many examples. I think of Hannah in 1 Samuel, barren, never able to have children. So she seeks the Lord and she prays and she prays and she prays and she says, God, oh, that you would just give me one child. They were making fun of her because she wasn't able to have children. All the other ladies had had kids, and she was the one around that was without a child. She prayed, and God gave her a child. God answered her prayer. And she said, I asked the Lord for a child, and he granted me my petition. Listen to some of these others. Psalm 18.6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Do you have that relationship with God? Did he hear your voice? Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Has God answered some of your prayers? Psalm 145, verse 18 and 19, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Christian fruitful life learns from the past, lives by faith, but leans on prayer. John 15 says, Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. We are weak. We are unable We must ask the Lord to help us in every single thing. I was battling allergies this week and tried to tough it out, but I'm not very good at it. So I gave in and ended up at the doctor. And To my amazement, I left the doctor with all types of medicine. I got prescription eye drops because it said I had pink eye. I didn't know I had pink eye. 
I got steroids for a rash. I didn't know I needed steroids. I got antibiotics for a sinus infection. That's what I thought I had. And then they gave me a prescription strength mucinex to deal with all the symptoms. I walked out with all of this, and for the last three days, I've been taking about 10 different pills a day. I was sick as can be. I didn't even realize. I felt bad, but I didn't realize I was that sick. And I realized that there's a pretty good chance that all this medicine's probably going to dry me up and fix me. And I am feeling better. But you know what I did when I got out of there? I called and texted a couple very key people in my life that I know pray to God. I said to them, it's hard to be sick with five kids. I want God to make me better. This medicine works. This medicine also can't work more than God. Would you pray and please ask God to heal me? Would you pray and please ask God to heal me? We lean on prayer. The Christian fruitful life prays. Number four, and this is where it gets really good. I haven't been worked up yet in this sermon, but here we go. The Christian fruitful life looks to forgive. Looks to forgive. Look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, sorry, verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Folks, this is a heart of Christianity and fruitfulness and church life that we need to remind ourselves all the time. My first point today is learning from the past. You need to keep learning this and keep learning this and never stop learning this. The true Christian, fruitful person that is living for God by faith in God is looking to forgive people. We are not those that hold a grudge. We are not those who say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, no, you've done me wrong too many times. I, I, I ain't gonna let it happen again. I'm sorry. You're cut off. Now, that's not Christianity. I don't know what you call that. That may be good old-fashioned people. That may be this. That may be that. That is not a characteristic of God. That's why I said there's a thin line here between a good person and a godly person. No, no, no. Listen, folks. Everybody in this room has sinned against God more than anybody in your life has sinned against you. And I'm not trying to downplay how bad you've been wronged. I'm serious. Some of y'all have been hurt crushed, abused, done wrong, used. I I know that. It's it's a heavy weight of a pastor trying to love and care and and keep y'all focused on the Word of God, knowing how hard life is. I'm serious. But for as bad as anybody may have been to us, we have sinned worse against God. He's our maker. He is our Father in heaven, and we at times have totally ignored him, rejected him, and sought our own way. And you know what he does? Never stopping, never giving up, he forgives. There's not a person in the room that couldn't bow their heart and knee right now and say, Oh God of heaven, have mercy upon me. I believe in Jesus. Would you forgive me of my sins? And do you know what God would do to you right now if you cried out to him? He would forgive you of all your sins. He will wash them away, cleanse your conscience, cleanse your heart, and give you a right standing relationship with him. God forgives and he forgives and he forgives. 
And what he teaches his people to do is to be that way toward others. Be like him toward others others. Christians are those looking to forgive. In this passage, he just said, have faith in God. Then he talks about prayer. And then he says, if you're praying and you realize that you have got any problem with anyone, now that's a big statement, but you got to see it in verse 25. If you have anything against anyone, not just people in your church, not just people in your family, not just other Christians, anybody, anywhere, if you went through Dairy Queen and they took too long and they didn't put the cheese on your twin pack and you mad at them and cussed at them or something like that, you need to go back by there tomorrow and seek the Lord's forgiveness. I'm serious. What do you think? You can come here and act like you're right with God, cursing people there and worshiping God here? No. James tells us straight up, you can't have both of those things coming out of your mouth. We are to be seeking forgiveness. We are to be looking to forgive. If anybody has wronged you, you ought to be looking to forgive them. You represent God when you forgive somebody. You look like God when you forgive somebody. You remember that passage when Peter comes and says, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to give somebody? I feel like I tell you all this one all the time. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, like, well, how about seven times? Because seven times is a lot to be offended by somebody, right? And Jesus almost laughs and says, try 70 times seven. Folks, you know when you're going to look like God? When somebody's offended you 400 plus times, I mean, every day for two years straight, they've just been rubbing your name through the mud. You know what you extend to them? Forgiveness. You know who you look like when you act like that? God. You believe me? If you don't believe me, then maybe you don't understand how much God loves you. Maybe you're still in that natural sinful thought of God loves you because you're so good. That's wrong. That's so wrong. God doesn't love you because you're so good. God loves you because you're so bad and Jesus died so he could forgive you. God loves you because you're so bad that his son died to make you lovable. That's why God loves you. He doesn't love you because you're so good. Now, if you will ask him for forgiveness, you know what he'll do? He'll forgive you. God's a good God. He's a father in heaven, and we are like him when we look to forgive. Let me tell you just a few verses. You know how God forgives us? 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we sin tomorrow and ask him forgiveness, he will forgive us of our sins. If you sin next year and ask forgiveness, he will forgive us of our sins. That's what God is like. And then you know what he tells us to be like? Just like that. Listen to this one. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. A church is not made up of people who don't make mistakes. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to offend you. You're going to let us down. We're going to have people go off the deep end. Bad things are going to happen. What makes us a real church that reflects the heart of God is that we understand to look to forgive people. I'm always amazed when somebody says, I can't believe they did that. And now I'm done with them. And I can't go to church with them. And I'm never coming back there. I don't hear a lot of that, but you've heard it before. All of those responses are not the responses of God. You sin against God, God forgives you. If 
You have faith in what Christ has done as the one who died for you. Don't you know that? When we look to forgive, we reflect God. We are fruitful and truly Christian. And so this brings up my fifth and final point. We learn from the past. We live by faith. We lean on prayer. We look to forgive. And then lastly, we long ourselves for forgiveness. We are wanting to be forgiven. You know the golden rule says, this is Jesus' golden rule, that you're to treat others the way you want them to treat you, right? And I sure hope that when I do offend you or offend my wife, that you'll forgive me. I really hope you will. And Jesus teaches that that same desire should be extended to everybody. That I want you to forgive me, and so I want to forgive you. We need forgiveness. Look at our passage. The last verse, 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. The Bible says this at many places. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you've heard it before. The Bible says that if we will not forgive people, because my fourth point is looking to forgive, the Bible says that if we will not forgive people, then God will not forgive us. That's a heavy passage to deal with. But this is my fifth point, that we ought to be looking to be forgiven. But I want you to know that there is forgiveness. Psalm 103.12 tells us that for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, far that way, both ways, so far does God remove our sins from us. We are to be longing forgiveness for forgiveness. I want to ask you here today, honestly, do you want God to forgive you? Have you sinned against God? Have you asked Him to forgive you? What have you asked Him to forgive you for? What, what were the sins? What are the sins? How badly do you want Him to forgive you? How much do you need it? Do you need it to make your day better? Or do you need it to make your life better? Or do you need it to make your eternity better? Hear me today that you need His forgiveness to determine your eternity. Those who will not seek the Lord's forgiveness through what Jesus has done on the cross will not be forgiven of their sins. And to not be forgiven of our sins is to be condemned and guilty in our sins and to face the punishment of God forever. But for whoever wants to, they can call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you wash me clean? Do you remember in Luke 15 the story of the prodigal son, the son that runs away? Do you remember how he finally comes to his senses? That's a great statement. He rehearses how he's going to repent and go back to his father, and he starts coming back to his father. Do you remember the father's reaction? Do you remember when the father is still sees him a long way off? And the Bible says that the father who represents God runs to him and comes and finds him and welcomes him back. 
Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was shameful. Yeah, it was disgraceful. Yeah, it was an ugly stage of life. But guess, of life. But guess what, folks? Almost everybody I know has got some or one or a couple or many ugly stages in the past. Remember my first point? We're still learning from those. But you know what the future should be filled with? A fruitful heart that says, God, please forgive me. God, forgive me of my sins. As long as we are humbled by our sinfulness and seeking the Lord with repentance for forgiveness, we can know that he forgives us through Jesus. What is troubling is when someone no longer sees their sins as sin. They're not bothered by it. They're not convicted by it. They're not bothered that they are disobeying God. They're not bothered that God is offended and not pleased. They are no longer concerned about living wrongly. They don't care that their sins offend God. And when someone does not desire God's forgiveness, then they are no longer living a fruitful Christian life. I think it's fascinating that two passages that are as heavy as the last two weeks have been, the cursing of a fig tree because it did not bear fruit, the cleansing of a temple because they were not worshiping God, is met by such encouraging words as our Lord Jesus gives here. We learn from the past. We live by faith. We lean on prayer. We look to forgive. And we long to be forgiven. That's a good outline for your life. Those are five marks of fruitful Christians. May we set our hearts today upon being that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the teaching of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 11, God, we see a little bit more. God, we want our lives to be fruitful. Oh, God, we don't want to be a fruitless tree or a place of worship without any worshipers. God, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray, God, that you would set our hearts upon Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.